Today on Ag News Daily. To benefit the rest of the herd based on what inputs are available. You know, we really like to focus on hydrogen that's founded by farmers. Good morning, friends and listeners. Welcome to the Ag News Daily Podcast. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Delaney Howell. Our episode today is brought to you by Kubota. Together, we do more. Delaney, how are you doing? I'm good, Tanner. How are you doing this morning? Good. Jumping up. Sun's out. Still chilly, uh, but attitudes are good. We've got a farm sale to go to locally this morning to see if the land market's still holding in there just as well as the commodity markets are. Uh, tell us more. <laughs> it just is a regular piece of ground, waterway through the middle of it. It's one of those that's not square, flat, and black. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's any discount given to the farmability. Um, but ultimately, it happens to lie within arm's reach of metro expansion. So we'll see if there's some developers working on 1031 exchange opportunities or if it'll be farmer purchased. So always fun as an observer and a banker to go watch, um, but also kind of disheartening to the farmers in the area that know that they aren't just competing against each other. And are you going to that auction today, Tanner? Yes, I will be there this morning. All right. That'll be fun for you. You'll have to give us an update on the podcast tomorrow. I can do that. I certainly can do that. But let's run over to Indonesia first, where the Indonesian government is concerned about soybean stocks. They have now assigned to their Bulog, which is their food procurement agency, 800,000 tons of subsidized soybeans for the making of local tofu and tempeh. So due to the rising global prices and the unknowns coming out of Ukraine, they're not sure if they're going to be able to import the necessary tons of soy over the next couple of months to year. So they are now looking at distributing 200,000 tons of soy every month for the next four months with a subsidized price. So the Indian, Indonesia's government has allocated 1,000 rupa per kilogram of soybean uh, as an effect to lower prices. So to give our listeners a little bit of an example here, the rupa, and I'm saying that probably wrong, R-U-P-I-A-H, a thousand rupa is seven cents. And there are 27 kilograms in a bushel. So that is a dollar ninety of a subsidy per bushel of soybean. Wow. That's a pretty good good subsidy then. Good sized. Yes, it is. Okay, because I was gonna say you're throwing a lot of numbers at me, but I don't know what they all mean, but now we do. <laughs> I had to tie them back in. You're right. Yes. Well, speaking of numbers, Tanner, we got yesterday's crop progress numbers out, and we are certainly behind pace when it comes to getting this year's corn crop in the ground. As of yesterday, we are sitting at just 4% of the U.S. corn crop planted versus the five-year 6% average, so we're behind by two percentage points there. Most notably, significant delays in Illinois, where just 6% of the crop is where 6% is usually in the ground at this point in year, but due to the cool, wet weather we've been having across much of the Corn Belt, we have seen significant delays there. We've also seen uh, on the soybean side of things, not really a huge start to the season, but certainly have seen some uh, get in the 
get planted in the ground there just slightly. But really the big story again is the winter wheat quality, which is at 30% of the crop good to excellent uh, compared to 32% from the week prior. So we are continuing to watch that winter wheat crop continuously get worse here. Although hopefully Tanner will see that I don't know. I, I actually, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say this because I don't know that some folks got some of the same wet weather that we got here in Iowa, Illinois, and, and elsewhere. So those folks may not have gotten any reprieve for winter wheat areas. Yeah. And we talked with Angie yesterday and she mentioned that um, wheat country is just getting hit both winter and spring uh, from a lot of different angles. Some are under 30 inches of snow. Some are in extreme drought conditions. Um, been seen on social media, people potentially destroying their winter wheat to come back and seed spring wheat uh, due to bad conditions. Uh, but unfortunately, it doesn't seem like things are going to get any better in the wheat sector. And then the farmers here in central Iowa that I've talked to really have very little excitement as to how early they're going to get started planting. You know, there was talks and rumors that on Thursday this week, we might see some planters roll to get some kinks out, but now we've got rain in the forecast for tomorrow. So I would assume the next report that comes out on planting progress is probably still going to be behind pace. Yes, I would guess that you were probably right there, Tanner. It'll just be interesting to find out when the tipping point goes uh, for how quickly we can get this crop in the ground to where we go and swing back to a hit of pace uh, due to the productivity of our equipment. But let's venture down to, man, these are tough city names this morning. Plaquemine, Louisiana. Overnight, there was a fire and chlorine spill that broke out at a Dow chemical facility. So uh, this was on the Dow campus. It was actually not a Dow-related mistake as uh, part of their campus is occupied by the Olin Corp. But around 8.40 p.m. last night, the fire broke out and a simultaneous chlorine leak happened to where residents were evacuated for a residents were at a stay in place order for over three hours. So everybody that was downwind of this event because of the chlorine spill were asked to stay indoors unless they absolutely had to leave. Uh, the good news is as of this morning, that stay in place order has been lifted. And uh, as of right now, the Olin Corp is not reporting any injuries or deaths. So that's really good. And for those who don't know who Olin is, it's an American manufacturer of ammunition, chlorine, and sodium hydroxide. So they originally started in Niagara Falls, New York, uh, and have been around for over 130 years, but uh, must be using a byproduct coming off of that Dow campus. Um, and it sounds like it's a, a good thing for them to get that contained, and now they can start their investigation as to how it happened. Well, Tanner, before I get to my next piece of news here, I wanted to remind folks that we are sponsored today by Kubota Tractors. Farming demands well-built equipment, Kubota equipment that's built right, built ready, and proven for over a century. Tractors are that are adaptable and versatile. Hay tools backed by a two-year warranty, sidekick utility vehicles where durability meets speed, and productive SSV skid steers. That's farm work to do. Kubota equipment is ready to get it done right. Learn more at KubotaUSA.com. And Tanner, 
I shared this, I believe actually on the Global Ag Network Facebook page. It's a little bit anecdotal, but as we're continuing to discuss news coming out of Ukraine, there was a heart-wrenching post that's been going around Facebook. I don't know if you've seen it. It was shared by the Euromaiden Press, which I assume is some sort of EU publication. Well, they were sharing that Ukrainian farmers are getting into the field and getting planted. However, they're doing it wearing bulletproof vests. And the photo series that they have shared here honestly shows farmers in Ukraine getting planted, but they are all carrying or wearing bulletproof vests. And it's just crazy to think that that is the challenges that they are dealing with this year to get in and get the crop planted. Yeah, and I didn't want to report on this because I still haven't verified the source, but there are, I'm going to say rumors to caveat this, of, of there being one confirmed death of a farmer operating a tractor in a field due to landmine. Uh, so they they do have the right for concern to make sure that they stay protected. But that is super unfortunate for our, our friends and fellow industry uh, in Ukraine. And, you know, as we were talking yesterday about food shortages and potentially a famine, China has been secretly, well, I shouldn't say secretly, they've been doing it, uh, but just hasn't been covered by mainstream news a whole lot yet. But China has been slowly stocking up and hoarding on certain food products, including U.S. corn and soybean commodities. I don't know how he missed this, Tanner, but last week we saw quite a few large purchases of U.S. corn made by China, as a lot of analysts are suggesting that food security concerns are driving the country's increased appetites for U.S. commodities. And we've seen just, uh, let's see, about... Uh, about 2 million metric corns of ton were purchased last week throughout the week by China. So certainly, you know, it does beg the question because as we touch, touched on yesterday with Angie, we've seen above $8 corn now, yet China's still coming to the table and buying corn even at these high of prices. So you got to wonder what's really going on there behind the scenes. Yeah, that that is very interesting. Uh, it definitely shows where that demand's going. We had that article yesterday on how their hog production is up. Obviously, their population is growing. Um, it'll be interesting to see what, what they continue to do going forward and what their take is on uh, the world's import and export markets. But can't seem to go a day without really reporting on Russia and Ukraine invasion. So Russia has now launched their full-scale offensive in eastern Ukraine. Uh, declares another stage of this invasion. So, uh, of course, Ukraine is stating that they will defend at all costs, but now they are being tacked on their eastern fronts as they kind of pulled out of Kiev. Uh, it just seems to continue to push, but to try and put a little lighter note on this, um, it's not going without penalty, Delaney. So economic pressure continues to mount on Russia, and one key factor for the population and its uh, positive morale is drinking beer. And unfortunately for Russia, 98% of the hops used in beer are imported and they can't get access to those. Plus large beer makers like Heineken and Carlsberg have pulled out. So beer giants um, have pulled out of Russia. So their only hopes for beer is to continue to make it and brew it on their own. And that is becoming an issue because they don't grow 
like you said, less than 2% of their own hops. So uh, a little side note, tried to put a little positive spin uh, on the note. Uh, unfortunate for those in Russia, but there may become a beer shortage. Interesting. I actually always assumed that they just drank vodka, Tanner. <laughs> That's true. It may not have as big an impact as I had originally thought. But listeners, just a reminder, farming demands well-built equipment, Kubota equipment that is built right, built ready, and proven for over a century. Tractors that are adaptable and versatile, hay tools that are backed by two-year warranty, sidekick utility vehicles where durability meets speed, the productive SSV skid steers, there's farm work to do, Kubota equipment is ready to get it done. Learn more at KubotaUSA.com. Well, Delaney, I don't have anything else on um, news on my side of things. Do you? I have just one other quick story here, Tanner, before we chat through the opening markets this morning, and that is a potential change to the century-old Packers and Stockyards Act, which legislators have now proposed some new changes saying that it is well over a century old and things need to be updated in this piece of legislation. The biggest change here would be to allow livestock marketers to invest in processing facilities. So we're talking stockyards, we're talking auction facilities, etc. Those people that have direct access in the price would potentially be able to have a say in allowing livestock marketers to invest in processing facilities, which does create some question, you know, as we talk about consolidation in the cattle industry and some of the not so happy folks when it's come to the big four and feeling like the price has been fixed. We've talked about a lot of different scandals going on in that, but the bill would make this change uh, and would be called the Amplifying Processing of Livestock in the United States Act, which is a bipartisan bill introduced by Representative Vicki Hartzler, Jimmy Panetta, and a few others. But this bill says that within one year of enactment, the Secretary of Agriculture could revise the code of federal regulations and specify that market agencies may have an ownership interest in finance or participate in the management or operation of a packing entity so long as such packing entity has a cumulative slaughter space of less than 2,000 animals per day or 700,000 animals per year. So it is to, um, you know, qualm or calm some nerves about folks getting involved in the big ones. It is specifically designed for people to invest in the small, medium to small sized slaughter facilities, Tanner. That was a lot uh, to unpack. I hate using that term, but that was hard to follow. But it's good to see that there is going to be some opportunities provided. Uh, but it'll, as always, it'll just be interesting to watch it play out. Yeah, it was a lot to unpack. Essentially, the gist of that is folks that actually invest uh, and work in, you know, finances, auction houses, etc., will be potentially able to invest in small slaughter facilities, or I think potentially have their own. Ah, I see. Well, before we jump into our topic today, um, I did take a glance at the markets, and it seemed to be a pretty quite quiet overnight. Obviously, supply risks are just as much a focus on that Ukraine war as is the storage in Ukraine if they do get their crop planted. So as reported, Delaney, uh, only 4% of their crop has been planted year to date, especially on the corn front. Uh, beans are still left in limbo after that trucking activity like we reported yesterday is resumed in Argentina. Um, and like you, re you reported here, 
our planting progress is just a little bit behind schedule. So we had beans down just a penny as we opened. Soybeans were down a penny and a half. Uh, wheat also was pulled back slightly in the overnight. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how those markets play out today on our Tuesday. Yeah, especially the big one I'm going to be watching today, Tanner, is to see can old crop corn hold above $8. That's definitely a psychological area to watch today. So without further ado, Tanner, let's kick it over to today's conversation with Dan Schmidt, president of Hydrogreen. Today on the Tech Tuesday segment, we are chatting with Dan Schmidt, president of Hydrogreen. Dan, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Good morning. Thank you. Dan, before we get into chatting about Hydrogreen, give us a little bit of information about your background and how you found yourself in this space. Yeah, great. Um, I have about close to 25 years experience in heavy uh, equipment, being that agriculture, construction, industrial I've worked with uh, organizations like John Deere Company, uh, JCB in Europe and parts of Asia, and Stanley Black & Decker Infrastructure. And around 2020, obviously the whole world was kind of turned on its head with uh, COVID. And we've seen a very significant shift to technology and the integration of technology. And that's when I realized that um, the opportunity for vertical farming or controlled environment ag, as we refer to it, uh, could be a whole new frontier uh, going into this next decade. I saw the opportunity to lead uh, an organization into a new sector, and um, and I was really excited to jump at the opportunity and 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 grow into a new industry, a new business. So this is exciting for me because I've interviewed guests on the podcast that uh, are doing indoor farming for the purpose of creating produce for human consumption. What tell us a little bit more about what Hydrogreen does? Yeah, for sure. Um, Hydrogreen is a local chain ag tech company. We are owned by Cubic Farms Corporation, uh, which is out of Vancouver, British Columbia. And Cubic Farms does focus on consumer food being fresh produce. Cubic saw an opportunity to diversify controlled environment ag or hydroponic growing. And that is growing fresh feed. So Hydrogreen is an organization that's focused on sustainable fresh forage or fresh feed inputs for animal herds. In this case, specifically, we really focused on cows, be it for beef and dairy, so that we are also trying to help secure our uh, food chain uh, so that we have local feed able to develop and support both dairy and beef farmers. Now, Dan, I want to go back to a term you used just a little while ago, which is vertical farming. You said that that's a space that you saw a really big growth area in, but I think that's kind of a buzzword in agriculture and a lot of people define it a lot of different ways. So in your mind, what does that mean and how is Hydrogreen fitting into that? Great. Uh, that's a great question or great point because it, it is a bit overused, but I think the general public understands this idea of uh, being able to take what we would call fresh grazing pastures, bringing them from the outdoors and bringing them indoors. And instead of it it being uh, acres and acres of land, we're able to consolidate it in a very tight footprint and go up, hence vertical. But you're right, vertical farming term has become a catchphrase. Uh, The appropriate 
definition is controlled environment agriculture, which really means you're able to recreate the environment in anywhere, any space around the world, where essentially we bring mother nature's indoors and we bring the environment to the crop, whether it be fresh food, fresh feed, whatever you're focused on. Uh, and then you are able to accelerate and expedite the growing of those plants indoors. So you are correct, it's become a catchphrase. And so we actually like to say at Hydrogreen, we're the next level of vertical farming because people understand that term. That's a, a very clever catchphrase and easy to feel <laughs> how that falls right into what your mission is. I, with the agriculture background that I have and uh, in-laws that run a feedlot, find this fascinating that, you know, I look at the number of acres that have to be utilized in order to provide one year's worth of feed. But I assume with this technology, you don't have to worry about producing one crop. You're harvesting multiple crops in this fashion. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, great to hear you have a, an ag roots background as well, because most people don't really understand the amount of feed required to to harvest and what's necessary for, for cows, uh, whether it's dairy or beef. The average uh, North American consumes about 24 pounds of lettuce per year. A dairy cow can consume 120 pounds of fresh feed per day. So the scale, the amount of land required to create those inputs for beef or dairy cow uh, is, is pretty massive. So what's unique about what we do is we actually take seed uh, and we, grains, essentially small grains, whether it's wheat, barleys, triticales, so you think of those pasture lands, and we can grow them from seed to feed in six days. It's 140 wow. hours. Yeah, that's, that's also what's unique about the feed division versus plants or even cannabis. Think of those, those indoor ag, those longer growth cycles, maybe 28, 36, 48 days, seed to feed in six days. And we're able to do that very quickly by controlling that environment and expediting what mother nature would do in a normal course. So seed to feed in six days um, allows you to adapt the crop uh, and run off fresh feed every single morning when the system's up and running at a large scale where the, the benefit to the, to the rancher or the feedlot or the dairyman is that at least they know every morning part of their ration will be harvested fresh every morning. So it really depends on the region, uh, depends on uh, the rancher's needs or preferences as to what part of inclusion, how much do they need for that? So for example, on a dairy lot, it might be 15% of their ration that day is hydrogreen fresh forage every morning. Uh, on the small beef side, small independent beef herds is another focus for us, 100 to 200 head. Those might be 25 to 35% of, of the ration. On a feedlot, uh, that might be 20%. So it really depends on the region and the need that the herd or the, uh, the farmer has to, to keep his, health, uh, his, his herd healthy and active. Dan, I have a little bit of a hard question. It's two parts here, just because I'm really curious about, you know, you mentioned 140 hours, six days, basically. So my two-part question is one, are farmers and ranchers using the hydrogreen system on their farm or are they buying it through you? And second part of that question is with that six days, basically to get that feed ready, 
What does it look like from a cost perspective of water, electricity, et cetera? Is it a large increase in those types of things or is it using the resources that you may already have? Yeah, uh, good questions. Uh, we get these questions every day. Uh, so <laughs> on the amount of natural resource, so I'll start there. Um, what's really amazing is when you're able to fine tune uh, what we call the recipe to growing a, a crop. And for us, it's going to be sprouted grains. Uh, we're actually able to repurpose 95% of the water. Meaning when we start a new crop every day, we will recycle 95% of the water. Our end game is that ultimately all the water that's going into that crop, the only thing that's going to be leaving the, the, feed, the feed farm will actually be the water in the plant. All other aspects of this is being recycled. So the point to that is, um, if you look at what's happened in parts of Canada and the western part of the U.S., we're going through a prolonged drought. It's been years of difficult times uh, for ranchers, and, and, and especially in the mountain regions, and they have to be very cognizant of water usage. Um, and with the lack of rain, it means that their forages and the inputs that they're currently using, the quality has gone down. It's only a matter of time without rain that those natural inputs are degrading. They're just not the same quality they used to be, which would affect the health of their herd. So uh, regarding the energy costs, surprisingly, they're, they're, we do not use grow lights. So that's another misconception that you have to use high energy grow lights in order, in order to get this, uh, the, the crop to sprout. As a matter of fact, we use very low intensity LED lights so that we're essentially just tricking the seed to act like mother nature to cycle it forward. So we, we're not even looking for um, the, the plant to go through photosynthesis. We're trying to develop a root bed and then we harvest the entire, looks like a carpet. We harvest all of that fresh forage off and shred it down to feed it right out to, to the herd. So this is intriguing. And, and unfortunately on our show, we don't have time to dive any deeper into that. So I'm looking at the website, but would you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you? Uh, so that way, if they want to learn more, they can go do so for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Hydrogreen, our website is hydrogreenglobal.com. Um, we've been on this journey for the last few years. Uh, we've learned so much about how to make the most of the resources we have available to us. Once again, every region has a different need. Um, and so we're able to customize what type of crops we're growing to benefit the rest of the herd based on what inputs are available. You know, we really like to focus on Hydrogreen was founded by farmers. And the reason I say that is that the idea, the concept came from, it was a problem. A, a rancher had an issue with uh, finding healthy, consistent inputs. So he was able to come up with a system, and it's actually a very simplistic system uh, of this structure where he could grow the seed to feed every day. And that has really caught on and gained momentum as you know, the world has changed and uh, the environment has seen some, some setbacks from place to place. So uh, we're really excited about the technology, but more importantly, you know, sometimes ag tech can, um, I don't want to say intimidate, but it can be different and it's a change. But the way I like to look at it is we're essentially bringing grazing pastures indoors. We're not really changing how animals are fed. If you think about it, they, they used to forage. 
Now we're, we're able to bring that forage indoors at a much greater scale. So we actually call these installations automated vertical pastures. And in a 12 unit automated vertical pasture system, which we're currently installing one in Wyoming as we speak, it'll be the largest on farm fresh forage uh, installation in the world. Uh, we'll be producing 70,000 pounds of fresh feed every day on farm, going right out to those animals. And the scale of which we're able to do this is 60 times the crop output of a traditional 500 acres. So one acre under air will replace or not replace supplement 500 traditional acres. That's just uh, amazing, especially as you, you know, you talk about a lot of the interesting events going on in the West and people looking to change the landscape. But Dan, thank you so much for joining us again today. Really interesting stuff. And we look forward to watching the Hydro Green journey continue to grow. Thank you. Uh, thanks for learning more about Hydro Green. And yeah, join us on our journey. It's uh, hydrogreenglobal.com. Check it out. We'd love to uh, educate, inform, and show people uh, the opportunity to take much more control of, of their sustainability, not just with mother nature, but also sustainable businesses. So thanks for the opportunity. Well, Tanner, that certainly was an interesting interview, a lot of good information there. And I think Dan mentioned to us this after we got off there, you can buy the system, but you can also buy the product directly through HydroGreen, it sounds like. Yeah, this will be one that I think a lot of people are going to follow up on. Um, not only is it the future of feeding livestock, uh, but it is interesting just to watch their journey as we go. So um, that'll be a neat one, Delaney. Uh, thanks again to Kubota for being a proud sponsor of this episode. But what do you say, Delaney? Should we let the people go? Let's let them go.